I felt exactly the same way then as I did way back in 1970. I still think it's really cool if you have made it to the point where you can pull in in one of these gigantic tour buses, you know. Anyway, I still think that's cool. Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This is Monday morning and I am going to give you a little after action report on the weekend that I just had. And I want to talk about something that I believe is very important for anyone who wants to learn to play bluegrass or become better at it. And that is, and this is something that I have mentioned in many episodes, the concept of you have to get off the couch. You have to go out your door. Um, well, that's what I did this weekend. What I'm talking about here is should you go or should you just stay home? And I'm going to make the case for you should go. In bluegrass, the things that you can go to are you can go see a band play. You can go see a local band play. You can go buy a ticket to a, to a show to see a big-name star. You can go to a f- weekend festival. You can travel across the country. You can go to a little jam session. Your neighbor can be having a a little picking in the backyard and you get invited. You could go to that. Or you could just stay home and don't go to these things. There are four possibilities whenever there is one of these activities going to take place. You can do one of these four things. You can go and really be glad that you went afterwards you can go and the next day you say man that was fun i'm glad i did that so that's possibility one then there is possibility two you can go and the next day you're wishing you hadn't gone now that does sometimes happen there have been a few things there i have to say though they're very very rare it's a rare case where i have gone to a festival or gone to a show or gone to a jam and I came home and the next day I was saying, man, what a waste that was. I shouldn't have gone to that thing. It has happened and it will happen, but I'm just saying those are generally pretty rare. Then on the, those were the two possibilities for you go. Then there's the stay home possibilities. You can stay home and wish you had gone. This has happened to me countless times over the years. Somebody said, hey, you want to go to blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know. I, I really got a bunch of stuff I got to do around here. Nah, maybe I'll catch you next time. And then the next day you get the phone call and it starts, man, you really missed it. <laughs> you know, I hear that all the time. You should have went. Oh, man, it was great. Or let's say it was a festival and your friend says, I'm going to go up there on Friday. And you say, I may come up there on Saturday. So I come rolling in on Saturday 
I'm hanging around talking to the guys and they're like, man, you really missed it. Last night was incredible. That jam we had last night, I, it was amazing. You really missed it. I hear that kind of thing all the time. So sometimes you, you stay home and you wish you had gone. And I will say that is very common. Then there's the fourth possibility. You stay home and you're glad you didn't go. One time a buddy of mine asked me to go to a festival down in Florida. And, you know, I hemmed and hawed around about it and wasn't too excited about the idea. And I didn't go. Well, after the weekend was over, he came or we talked later and he told me that the the river flooded and it completely flooded the festival grounds and it was just a mud fest. It rained the entire weekend. And they said they still had a great time. And I'm sure even the worst of experiences sometimes are still kind of fun. They're certainly memorable. But that was one of those rare instances where I guess I was glad I didn't go to that. But I hope what you're getting from this is the majority of the things that I have ever gone to, jam session, festival, show, anything bluegrass related, 95% of them, the next day I was glad I went. Very few that I wish I hadn't gone. And then the ones that I didn't choose to go to, 95% of those I hear later, boy, you missed it. It was great. I hear that all the time, but I very rarely have that feeling of, I skipped that one and man, I am glad I made the right decision there, didn't I? So those are the four possible outcomes, and I want you to consider, you know, I know these things come across your desk, so to speak. Somebody invites you here, you hear about a festival, you pick up a festival flyer, you see an ad in the paper, and you ask yourself, well, should I go? And a lot of times what stops people, especially beginners, is they don't have anybody to go with. And I would suggest you go back and listen to a partner in crime, one of my early episodes, that helps kind of get you off the couch and get you out there. Well, I just want to give you a little recap of my weekend, and I went to see a bluegrass show this weekend. And, you know, when I got started back in the in the mid to late 70s, I went to everything. I would sometimes go two and three nights a week. If, if I heard of anybody playing that was remotely connected in any way to bluegrass, and I went to some non-bluegrass things too, I was just going to everything. I would hop in the car and drive 200 miles and not think a thing about it, go to bluegrass festivals. I, I, I used to go to this place in Atlanta called the, uh, oh, what was that place called? The Great Southeast Music Hall. I don't, I can't even recount all the people that I saw there. But I was going, I was going. And when you're sitting there, you're taking it all in and you're absorbing these ideas and these, you're visualizing, you know, what you could possibly do. At least that's what I was doing. You know, I saw the Earl Scruggs review. I saw Lester Flatt in the Nashville grass. I saw Doc Watson years, many years before our band was regularly opening, serving as the opening act for Doc. This is way before that. I used to see, you know, Doc and Merle Watson. I would go to everything. But as the years went on and I got involved in bands of my own, I became very busy 
performing and I didn't go to as many shows. Oh, I occasionally, if somebody would ask me, Hey, you know, uh, David Grisman's doing a show on Friday and I'd say, man, I, I'd like to go, but we've got a gig and we were booked to play a, you know, like a Delta pilots retirement party, you know, and we're over there knocking out Fox on the run and Rocky top, you know, to make a hundred bucks a piece. While my friends who weren't in a band were down at, you know, Variety Playhouse or Center Stage or someplace like that, watching the David Grisman Quintet. So you get busy doing your own thing. And, you know, I, I went to less and less, fewer and fewer concerts as a ticket holder. I got to the point where I just thought, well, you know, we're booked at Dahlonega in the fall. And, uh, you know, Tony Rice is going to be there, country gentleman, you know, whatever, whoever. I, you know, I don't really need to go buy a ticket to go see him. I'm going to see him in the fall anyway, and we're going to be up there, you know. So you kind of get this attitude of, well, first you're just busy chasing those dollars, trying to pay your rent, make your car payment, that kind of thing. So, you, you know, you don't want to stop the wheels so you can go sit in the audience. But you're getting enough, you're... You're getting enough exposure to these these acts that you really like just by being on the festival scene and circuit and that kind of thing. So I, I went to fewer and fewer and fewer things over the years as a ticket buying, you know, participant. And, you know, I kind of forgot what it was really about. I would occasionally go to a festival that we were not booked at and just hang out and pick all weekend and, you know take my pop-up camper and, you know, it was fun. But every time I was there, I, I was always thinking, you know, I'd rather be playing the festival than just attending the festival. And I think that kind of, you know, as you get to playing in bands, that may happen to you too, but you miss what's going on. You, you don't even, you don't realize who the up and coming bands are. And you're, you're not as much of a fan of the music anymore when you get busy doing your own thing. So just be on the lookout for that. Now, five or six years ago, when I moved away from Atlanta and I quit playing with Cedar Hill and I quit playing with Pony Express, you know, we got our little band right now, the Pluck Tones, but I'm not really out there doing it like I once was. And so, you know, somebody mentions, hey, you want to go see so-and-so? And, -so? and I, I give it more serious thought these days because I don't have as many excuses to go to shows. So anyway, a couple weeks ago, my friend John says, Hey, Del McCurry is going to be playing in Athens. Do you want to go? I thought, well, yeah. I mean, I'd like to see Del McCurry again. All right, I'll go. Well, he was going to be up in Atlanta for some meetings with the company he works for. So he was in Atlanta. He's going to drive over to Athens, which is about, I don't know, what is it, 60 miles east of Atlanta. And I'm 175 miles south of there down in america so i'm like yeah okay i'll get up saturday morning i'll drive up to athens i'll meet you we'll get a room at the holiday inn or something for saturday night and we're going to go see del mccurry this is going to be fun and i really hadn't done that in gosh I, I don't know probably eight or ten years you know just bought a ticket to a show so here we got tickets to go see del mccurry it's going to be great so I get up Saturday morning, you know, check the oil in my car and check the tire pressure and load up my little change of clothes and, you know, just make sure I got all everything I need. And I take off and I drive through 
South Georgia and up through Macon, Georgia and through Eatonton and making my way up 441 to uh, come into Athens. And I, I arrived there and John had another meeting with a client and he, he had already checked in. So I, I went to the desk and got me a little parking pass so I could park there and got a room key. But he was busy for a couple hours, so I thought, well, I'll just walk uptown. It was only three or four blocks up to the Georgia Theater where, where Del McCurry Band's going to play. I'll just walk up there, nothing else to do, get me something to eat or something. I go up the hill, and there's that leased tour bus, big, fancy red bus with five air conditioning units on top of it. And it's parked there right beside you know the venue. And they're up on the marquee, Del McCurry Band. So I found a little pizza place and got me something to eat and just kind of stood around on the corner, killing time. And I saw Rob, uh, their banjo player, walking around out on, a, you know, talking on the phone. I saw a couple of the guys going in and out. and I didn't go over there and, you know, introduce myself or impose myself upon them or anything. I was just kind of watching what's going on. And this is the same sort of thing that I did back in 1979 and, you know, go to a festival and see the big boys pull in in their big buses. And man, that was so impressive. And I have to say, standing on that street corner on Saturday, I felt exactly the same way then as I did way back in 1970. I still think it's really cool if you have made it to the point where you can pull in in one of these gigantic tour buses you know anyway i still think that's cool so i finally met up with john and we were just he was needing something to eat so we walked into this little pub across the street kind of catty corner from the georgia theater and we're sitting in there and i said hey john uh ronnie mccurry just walked down the sidewalk he turned around he'd already gone he just walking down the street oh man i sure would like to meet ronnie mccurry I said, well, you know, if he's going that way, he's probably going down to get him something to eat or something. And the bus is back that way. He's going to be coming back. I said, just sit here and, you know, you watch 15, 20 minutes. If we pay attention, he'll be walking back the other way. And I said, sure enough, he, he did. And the doors to this little pub that we were in were wide open and we were sitting there at the bar and big glass front on. I said, John, there he is. And when Ronnie got about to the doorway, John just hollers out just as loud as he can. Hey, Ronnie. And of course he stops and looks in. Maybe he thought, you know, one of the guys in the band was in there or something. I don't know, but he kind of walked in, you know, it was kind of dark in there. He came in and John and I shook hands with him and talked to him for a few minutes. And he had just gone down the street to get a cup of coffee. Really nice guy. We talked just for a few minutes about mandolins and this and that, and we sure are looking forward to seeing y'all play tonight, that kind of thing. Those sorts of things don't occur in certain types of music. I, I dare say there are, if you're really into, let's say, I don't know, whoever's on the top 40 charts of any kind of music, you're not going to go buy a ticket and have a chance to just, you know, shoot the breeze with that guy for a minute or two. You know, you're just not. But bluegrass, I mean, here they are. That You know, the Del McCurry Band has to be at the top of the heap right now. They are just about as high as a person can go in the world of bluegrass. There are others, you know, certainly Alison Krauss, certainly um, 
maybe Rhonda Vincent. Uh, you know, there are some big names in bluegrass. But even these big, big names, they're still just regular people. And they're not mobbed by throngs of, you know, autograph seekers and stuff. It probably shocked Ronnie to hear somebody hollering out his name. I'm sure that he thought it had to be like the bus driver or, you know, one of the guys in the band or something. Because he's not mobbed by autograph seekers. These are just regular people. And that's, anyway, we go to the show later. We had to kill a few hours and... We go to the show. It was fabulous. I'm just so glad that I went. It'd been many years. And I'm just really, really glad I went. And I'm glad John went. I think John learned some things. You can't help but learn things by absorption. It's one of the primary ways in which we learn. And that is to put yourself in the environment and observe what's going on. And you take on some of that every time you do that. So the, the downside to the show is that it was at the Georgia Theater in Athens. It's a great venue, but it's one of those kind of places that they don't have any seating. There is no seating. You just stand. You stand around. It's, I guess, you know, it's sort of. It felt like a cattle feedlot or something. You know, they just herd people in and they stand. I guess they can get more people in that way. And the type of bands that would normally play there, I guess that's the thing you do these days is just stand, jump around or something. But, you know, I was expecting to come in and have a seat. But no, there were no seats. I think there might have been some seats up around the upper level around the balcony. But we wandered in there late enough that there were no seats. So you just stood around. So that was a downside, especially when you're 58 years old, you know, and you drove 165 miles to get there and you're kind of tired. I would just as soon sit down to watch the show. But, hey, you know, if I sat down, I would just be looking at the back of somebody's legs because I would have been the only person sitting down. So to me, that was a downside of that particular venue. But that's not going to stop me from enjoying the Del McCurry band when they come out. And I, a couple of observations I will give you about the show. Uh, things that, you know, you could learn if you're, if you want to play bluegrass, some things you could learn is, um, you can learn. Well, first of all, before I do that, let me tell you about their show. The opening act came out and played. And I suppose there's a lesson in this. The opening act, without mentioning any names, was okay. You know, you would think in Athens, Georgia, there would be quite a few really, really good bands who would, who would pay them to be on stage. I'm not knocking these people, but I'm just saying, you know, I wasn't greatly impressed with the opening act they were okay and the crowd was loving them um you know they were not awful but you know there's nothing to write home about it's all i'm saying there were uh you know certain members of the group that i thought were outstanding uh, but anyway just very kind of a unfortunately for them kind of a forgettable experience but what i think the impression that it made on John, my friend, 
who is our mantle player in the pluck tones. I, I hope that the impression that he went away with is, and I think he did think this afterwards. He said something to the effect of, you know what? The pluck tones could have opened for Del McCurry. And I'm glad he thought that because seriously, the pluck tones, the little trio guitar, mandolin and bass that I'm currently playing in. We just play little local gigs and stuff here around America's. We were plenty good enough to be up there doing what they, I'm without bragging. I'm just saying we were better than that opening act band. I mean, we could have done that gig. No problem. And I think getting that belief in your head, that belief that it's possible. Hey, we're good enough to open for Dale McCurry. Well, of course you are. If you practice a bunch and you try to play well, you can achieve that level. Even if you've only been playing a couple of years, you work at it. These possibilities are open to you. And that realization sets in when you go to a show and you see a, see an opening act that, eh, you know, they're okay. Not, not great. And you think, Gosh, you know, if, if, if we would, you know, polish up our show a little bit, by golly, we could do this and we could be hanging out backstage with Ronnie McCurry and Del McCurry, you know? So I think that it, you know, going to these things, you take in the whole experience and, and you can learn things. You, you will begin to mimic possibly what you see and hear. One of the wonderful things I love about the Del McCurry band is they dress properly. You know, if you went to see Bill Monroe in 1970, Bill's going to walk out and he's going to be wearing a suit and tie. And so is everybody in the band. There were occasions, you know, when it was extremely hot or something where they might, the band might come out in short sleeve, white shirts with ties and always the hats, but they, they had a, a dress code, a standard. And I like that. I like that respect for the audience that a band shows when they dress properly. It'd be like if, if you heard, you know, a neighbor down the road died and, and they were having a funeral and you just finished softball practice and you're wearing a sweaty t-shirt and stuff and, and you stop by at the viewing, that would be improper. That would be showing disrespect to the to the people who were there to show up in your sweaty gym shorts, you would go home, take a shower, put on a suit and tie and go back. That's the kind of respect that Del McCurry is showing to the audience. When he walks out, when they've taken the time to put on their show clothes, to dress properly, that I think is very important. And it gets forgotten in, in local by local bands and, and, you know, small time outfits, you might say, because it can seem sort of pretentious. Like if you've got a little gig, a little coffee shop, you know, that kind of thing, it might seem a little pretentious sometimes to come in and, you know, go full tilt with the suits and ties and stuff. But you can step it up a little bit and at least take some pride in your appearance. And that is one thing I give Great credit to the Del McCurry band. They do take pride in their appearance. And I think that's important. To watch them just walk on with no announcement. There was no, nobody came over the PA and said, and now, ladies and gentlemen, you know, nothing. 
they simply walked on. And it was a very, they walked on energetically like, we are ready to play. And, of course, the crowd just loses it. You know, they just go crazy. They just simply walked on. You can observe a band, and they are so good at this. Watch the confidence that they walk on stage with. They are ready to go, and they know they're about to do it. And they really do it. There's no weakness. There's no hemming and hawing around and fiddling with the microphones. Nobody walked out and adjusted a mic stand. They simply walked on and started. And you can learn how to, if you watch them, you can learn visually the art of self-mixing through positioning yourself. They have an array of microphones up there. And some people would say, oh, they're using the one mic thing. Eh, they're really not. They're singing over one mic, but there are several instrument mics here and there. And sometimes the fiddle player is playing on this one, sometimes on this one. Sometimes the guitar is playing into his own mic, and sometimes he's just raising the guitar up and playing into that main central vocal mic. There's a lot of switching around, a lot of movement going on. And when they're singing quartets, they're all getting around that mic. And then the fiddle player may jump into that middle mic to play his break. This thing of being all spread out in a line and glued to your personal microphone is sort of limiting you can't mix yourself except by moving in and out of your microphone but to watch them do it it's almost like watching it's a it's a it's the kind of audio mixing that takes place in high-end recording studios where they they work and they work and they work at setting the levels for everything and what you're seeing is you're seeing that happen in real time by where people stand and it is a fascinating thing to see. And I would say they're probably, they're the best I've ever seen at doing that. So that, that thing of self-mixing by stage positioning, you can learn that by watching those guys. You can learn how to speak to an audience just to listen to the warmth and, and the, the happiness and the pride that comes out as Del McCurry speaks. You know he is proud of his boys. And I will tell you a, a kind of a little little side story. As we came in, they there's the record table, and there's a lady sitting at the record table arranging T-shirts and CDs and stuff. And, you know, people are just walking by. And John and I stop and are looking at them. And I was so excited because there on the table was a 33 and a third record album. This is bringing just flooding back memories to me. And... Apparently, it's a fairly new album. They're, they've put out either one or two records on vinyl LPs again. And John's looking at the CDs, and I'm looking at this record. I'm going to buy this record you know, because I have a turntable. I don't know if John has a turntable. I'm going to buy the record. And John says, well, they got it over here on CD. I said, no, I want the record. I haven't bought a bluegrass record except at goodwill you know at yard sales and things like that probably since the mid 80s i think cds came out about 86 or so my first cd was manzanita i had it on record but i bought it on a cd and unfortunately it had a skip in it it didn't play right but <laughs> i still have it first cd i ever bought anyway i just wanted to have the album they only had one of them sitting there on the table. I guess they weren't figuring they were going to sell a lot of those. 
but it had a little sticker on it that says free MP3 download of this entire album with purchase details inside. I'm like, Hey, I get the best of both worlds. I get the record and I get to download them. So I'm, I'm getting the record and I'm like, John, what size t-shirt you wear? Let me get you one of these t-shirts and here, get a couple of those Dell. Yeah. Stickers. <laughs> so we loaded up and I handed the lady a hundred dollar bill. And it was, I think our, it was $52 for the pile of loot we were, you know, we were buying. And she's like, have you got $2? I'll just give you a 50. I dug in my pocket and came out with $2. She gave me a 50 and we took our, all our pile of goodies and went to go to our seat. And then we realized we're just standing. So John decides that he's going to go back and put this stuff in his car. So we don't have to hold it all night long. You set it on the floor. It's going to get tromped on. There's no place to put this stuff. So he takes off and goes to the car. Well, they gave us wristbands when we came in the door and he bolted out the door and I decided, well, Hey, I'm 58. I don't feel like walking the five blocks to the car and back up that hill. And I'll just stay here. So he goes out and I, I see above the door a sign that says no re-entry. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> and some guy in a few minutes came up and said, Hey, you know, I, I need to run around a corner just for a minute. Can I come back in? He's like, Nope, there's no re-entry. If you go out, you're going to have to pay again to get back in. And I'm thinking John has already bolted out the door. Oh man. Well, in a, in 15 minutes or so, here comes John. He just comes walking in that door. Like he owns a place. The guy didn't say a word to him and we walked right in. Maybe he just has that. Some people have that ability to just, they just seem like the doors of the world open to them. And John's, John's sort of one of those people. And it's, it's good to find people like that and hang around with them. They just have this confidence that, you know, there's the door. I can walk through that door. There's no problem. <laughs> anyway, he walked right in. The guy didn't stop him. He was stopping other people. It was interesting. Anyway. Let me, let me look down at my notes. When I got home, I, I jotted down a bunch of notes of things that I thought, you know, I might say about this show. Uh, but one of my points is that you cannot absorb these sorts of things from records. Yes, you can focus in on the music with a record in ways that you might not at a live performance. Certainly isolating and listening only listening is very important to learning and you can watch videos on YouTube, but that's sort of a limited visual experience. You can't get the full visual 3d and not virtual reality, the reality reality, unless you go as we were standing there, we sort of positioned ourselves right in front of the sound man. And I noticed that they brought their own sound man. They had, you know, the house sound guy ran sound for the, for the opening act. And then I saw somebody else sit down. They had their own sound man with them. I used to see third time out do that. They would show it at a festival and you know, the guy would go over there and, you know, talk to the sound guy and sort of take over and do the mix for their band. And that's one way that these bands get great and reliable sound is by bringing their own sound man who knows their gear and knows their show. So that Del McCurry did that. Anyway, as I'm standing there, I can take in 
the audience in a way that somebody who's filming a show won't necessarily do. I can hear the guy standing next to me singing along with a song and look at him. And, I can, you know, you see the audience reaction a lot more when you're there. You can pick up on things that don't come across in a video on YouTube or something. Don't think watching videos of band is a substitute for going. And of course you've been to shows, you know, the full extent of reality. I'm saying, go put yourself in that reality and start soaking it up. And I think it's good to be on the audience side from time to time. And as a beginner, or a, you're going to spend most of your time in the audience or, as opposed to being on the stage, but it's good to understand that. I mean, I don't know that Del McCurry understood how much I would have preferred to be sitting in a chair. Now, if he had stood out there for five hours, you know, that was getting there early, waiting through the opening act. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't five hours, maybe more like three, three and a half. He probably would have found a chair somewhere too. You know, he's 78 years old. You have to go in order to take in these experiences and then to take those experiences and turn them into, you know, action for the future. Anyway, here's a, a little list I, I made of why you should go to concerts, why you should go to festivals, why you should go to shows. Number one, it financially supports the artist. Now, I'm not saying Del McCurry needs that support. He certainly did back in the 60s. And in the days of Del McCurry and the, what were they, the Dixie Partners? He needed the support back then. Um, and I don't know that he does as much today, but he still does. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what the bill is for that bus. And I'm sure that they have weighed that expense versus travel, you know, perhaps airfare, car rentals, motel rooms. But it's a huge expense. You know, we plopped down $25 for a ticket. And if you add it all up, how much money was taken in and then how much was paid to them. It takes a lot of money to make this stuff happen. There has to be money changing hands, and that supports the artist, which means you're supporting the whole bluegrass thing. If Del McCurry cannot do a profitable gig, he's just not going to play. And that is a huge loss, not only to you, the concert goer, but to the future of the music. If it's unprofitable, it is going to go away. Same thing, why you need to go to that record table and pull out a 20 and buy something. Help them out. Now, by the way, after we bought our little stuff, I said, hey, John, you do know that's Dell's wife running the record table. That's his wife. You're kidding. I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. Go ask her. He goes over there. He hugs her neck. He, he gets a picture with her. He is starstruck. This is Del McCurry's wife. Now, but I want you to think about that. You're 78 years old. You're still out there knocking around trying to play bluegrass for the people. And your wife comes along and mans the record table. It's a family operation. The whole family, well, not the whole family, but, you know, two sons. Ronnie and Rob's mother, she's running the record table. This is the bluegrass way, okay? And John got a full taste of that. He, he, he met her, and she asked him where he's from, and he said, I'm from America's Georgia. And she says, I know America's Georgia. 
we get our coffee from a, a roastery there in America's Georgia. And that little coffee shop in our town goes every year to Dell Fest and runs a coffee truck. And I guess they give them some coffee. And she got to know about Cafe Campesino's coffee. It's a small world, and these are just real people. It's real easy to walk by them and think, oh, oh, that's a big famous star over there. You know, I can't go up and say hello. Yes, you can. They're regular people. They have accomplished a lot, and they, are, they have um, a lot of things to their credit. Certainly one of the things Del McCurry has is longevity. He's still doing it and showing no signs of slowing down whatsoever. But you support the artist when you go and when you buy little trinkets and things like that, like me buying that record album, which I may never play. You also support the venues. If they don't make money, they can't stay in business. And this applies to little coffee shops, pizza places, you name it, throw in some money. Help the bluegrass world. you got to help the venues, too. And all the peripheral services, you know, the, the bus driver, he's got to, you know, he's got to feed his kids or whatever. You're helping everything. When we were there, we came up to the record table and, and Dell's wife said, did you get the free CD? You get a free CD with it, with your ticket. Oh, great. She hands us the CD and it's a CD that I, I had seen come out a few years ago. It's called Moneyland. I haven't listened to it yet, but I opened it and I was reading it. And it's kind of a compilation, it looks like. It's got some Merle Haggard on there and just all kind of stuff. I haven't played it yet. But he put this out about 2008. And uh, I just want to read you a little quote from Dell's message inside. He's talking about, you know, the financial hardships that are hitting the country. This is, you know, 2007, 2008, the big crash, you know, et cetera. And he talks about, um, well, let me just quote it. He's talking about where he grew up in York County, Pennsylvania. 20 to 30 years ago, anyone in York could get a good job because there were factories everywhere. In the last few years, I've had to watch friends and family lose their jobs as factories closed and many lose the pensions that they were relying on for retirement. These are Del McCurry's words in, in, the, in the little booklet. I'll continue. This hit really close to home when my wife, Jean, saw her pension wiped out from the job she had before we moved to Nashville. Fortunately, we weren't relying on her pension for retirement, but there are many who aren't so lucky. And in the uncertainty of Social Security and, and many working folks all across America are in a tough spot. That is what this project is all about. And he goes on. Anyway, what I'm saying is, you know, Del McCurry's wife lost her pension. These are real people. I, I don't, I think Del's doing okay for himself. I, you know, I'm not, this is not a plea, go out and support Del McCurry. What it is a plea for is go out and support all of bluegrass bands. If you love bluegrass, support them. Reaching that wallet, you get more back. When you, when you pay $25 for a ticket and you go see a band like Del McCurry, it could be a hundred other bands. You get your money's worth. As I said at the beginning, 95% of the time on the following day, as I'm thinking about it, I'm going, man, I am glad I went. And you'll say the same thing too. So get off that couch, go out there, 
support the bands. Who knows? One day, that may be you up there. Hope you all had fun with this episode. I will talk to you in the next episode. Oh, and one more thing. And I, I notice it's becoming a bit of a habit where I'm doing this. Oh, and hey, one more thing at the end of these episodes. But a lot of times, as soon as I hit stop, that's the moment when I think of one more thing I meant to say. And since I was just speaking about uh, bluegrass wives, um, if my wife listens to this episode, and she does listen to some of them, she will probably immediately say, uh, honey, you didn't mention your website one time. So that, that, that may happen at things. I'm not saying this ever happened with Del McCurry, but after the show, she may go, honey, you know, you forgot to mention the record table. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. Anyway, I feel that way right now. I haven't mentioned the website. So very quickly, if you like the show, you can support it by going to grasstalkradio.com. And you'll find a little thing there that says Grass Talk Raiders Radio Supporter. Click that and you'll find out about that. And another way you can support the show is to go to my website, which is full of instructional materials, ebooks and videos, that sort of thing, and free free lessons and information. And all of that is located at BradleyLaird.com. Okay, honey, was that good enough? We'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Yeah.